Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Great to be with you and welcome to the pool deck. I am sitting here watching my daughter swim and editing podcast episodes in between races. So I hope you enjoy the cheering in the background as I introduce our guest for this week, who is Ben Sporer. Dr. Ben found his passion for competitive sport in early adulthood and has since spent 25 years working in elite sport and human performance. He's held multiple roles with the Canadian Sport Institute, where I also used to work. And as an accomplished physiologist, same job I have, has led support teams at the Summer and Winter Olympics, as well as at the World Cup and World Championship events. In addition to his role as founder of Resync, which is a boutique consultancy firm for sports organizations, athletes, and corporate clients, Ben's an adjunct professor at the University of British Columbia and the vice president of performance strategy for the Vancouver Whitecaps FC of the MLS. I'm so excited to have Ben on the show to talk about his new book, Output, which has a really interesting, different perspective on how we can achieve high performance. I've been speaking a lot about process versus outcome, and Ben actually adds an interesting step in that whole process that takes it to another level. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Ben. He is awesome. A uh, super brilliant individual who explains things really nicely and, and makes it super accessible. So without any further delays, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Ben Sporer. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Greg. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's really great to speak to you. Saw your work recently, reached out. Super glad we finally managed to figure out a time to get you on the show. I know how busy you are, so this is great. Tell us a little bit about your background and introduce yourself to my audience. We'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got started in the field. Great, sure. I, our backgrounds are actually quite similar, as you know. I, I'm a physiologist by training. I've worked in high-performance sport for over 25 years. And throughout that process, went through a lot of different iterations and, you know, from going to a practicing physiologist to leading multidisciplinary performance teams and, and really becoming, I'd say, in the latter part of my career right now and currently is being more around performance strategy. How do you drive high performance, building programs and teams to support that? Worked in the Canadian Sport Institute for well over a decade and has still worked with national sport organizations, do a lot of work with B210 and, and work now currently with the Vancouver Whitecaps and the MLS. Wow. Yeah, it's it's super cool to connect with you. I've had a lot of people who do psychology on the show recently, so it's great to get back to the roots and have a physiologist. We're going to talk about my stuff this time, which is really, really, really great, or what I'm interested in, which is phenomenal. And recently, you've been talking and thinking and writing and publishing about the idea of performance being about output, not outcome. And that, I love that because it leans us into process, not outcome, which is something I'm trying to work on a little bit more these days. But perhaps we could start just talking a little bit about that. Sure, sure. I think, you know, it sort of manifested itself over the course of the career, to be honest with you. And I think it was probably back in, I think inherently we always thought about output. We were thinking about what we needed to do to achieve pieces. But when, it was probably the Beijing Games after the Beijing Games where I really thinking about high performance and being a high performer and relating that to the actual output you delivered as opposed to the outcome, I really sort of dove into it at that point. And, and then more practice in that regard as a whole. So when working with athletes and working with teams and clients is really driving this concept around, you know, an outcome is how often people measure the performance, right? You see it in sport, it's all over media. And the reality is, is that we don't have any control over the outcome. You might come up against a better team. You might have some sort of error or mechanical or decision by a referee and or things could just happen that are out of your control. And 
the only thing we really can control, and this is one of the messages that came out of that Beijing Games, was our actual output and our ability to deliver that output on demand. And when when I started to think about the concept of output versus process, because we we do think about a lot about process, it was a differentiator to me because I think an output I look at it as an output as an integrated delivery or a performance. And so if you have an objective. You have to be able to deliver that integrated output that's required to achieve that objective, and you can go through process, and you might do all the processes right, but if they're not the right processes, or they're not at the right level, they're not at the right level of integration between them in the environment that you're trying to achieve your objective, you still may not achieve that objective. And one of the things, speaking with athletes and coach, is that really I realized what we were trying to do was. Increase the ability of athletes and teams to deliver an output that was required to achieve the objective. But even in the end, all we were doing was increasing the likelihood that they were going to achieve that objective. So we had full control over how we prepared athletes, how we prepared teams. We had athletes had full control over how they committed to the preparation and how they delivered and prepared themselves for that moment. And then that's how they actually deliver the output that's required to achieve that. And and I, I'll give you one quick story about that. Please, an that's great. That, an athlete that finishes eight in the Olympic Games that wasn't expected to finish in the twentieth, but they hit PBs. They delivered on everything in their preparation strategy, and maybe they don't have the genetic makeup that maybe the top five athletes in that sport do, because some of them are very genetic based. But they performed at an incredibly high level, and they might have been the highest performer in that moment if everybody else didn't quite reach their PB, but they still had success above them. And I think we saw that we see that regularly in sports, and we also see the same thing is that some athletes and some teams and some people are successful in achieving object objectives in spite of their performance at times.、Mm. We have to be, and that was another piece around the output is that it may not have been a really good output, but you still achieved your objective. And I think that that's when we started talking to athletes and coaches about how do you really continue to strive to get better and be a, a higher performer at a higher level is. Evaluating those lucky wins or those lucky outcomes, just as much as you evaluate the unlucky ones. I really like that we've differentiated between process, output, and outcome. I've actually never thought of it that way before, but I really like it. I and I can see the difference actually. Yeah. And what I would love to do is tease that out a little bit more. And what I gathered from your explanation. Was that it's all about delivery of integrated performance in the environment in that moment. So let's tease that out, and I want to talk about integrated performance a little bit. Sure. And what that means, and the reason why is because what I'm think you're trying to say. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that we're basically trying to replicate what we need to do in competition in practice at the level that's required to give us the best chance possible of doing it when it matters. Yes. But that integrated performance piece is curious, so I want to pull on that thread just a touch. Perfect. I'll give you a really simple example. I use this one in the book. So think about a time trial and a cyclist. So if you have to do a pursuit, or let's just use a pursuit on track cycling, it's a, it's a very simple one. It's a very measurable, a certain amount of power outputs required to get around the track in a certain period of time. And if you're able physiologically, physically to produce that power output, great. Now, can you do that over a period of three times in a course of a a day or two days when you have to do multiple heats? 
Now can you do that when the objective is actually on the line, right? Mentally, can you do it? Now can you do it when there's 10,000 people screaming and a gold medal's on the line, right? Not just, not just a World Cup, but a gold medal. Now can you do it when you just had some news from home that your grandmother's sick or your grandfather's sick and emotionally that's actually challenging you in a different environment. And so what the integrated output is, is it's not, and quite often, and you know this term, we use this a lot in sport, and, and I think it exists in more so in for your listeners group and where they work in business and life. We work in silos. We go see a doctor over here, right? We go see our strength trainer over here. And, and often what you need to do in the end of the day is deliver an output that takes in the core four, as I talk about in the book, mental, physical, technical, and tactical. You need to deliver an output that's an integration of those four areas in a moment that's specific. But when we prepare in isolation, which I'm not saying we can't do that, but I think the output that you're trying to deliver, you have to understand what that output is and that environment is and be honest about what it is. That's really, really helpful. And I would also like to expand a little bit upon the idea that it requires mental, physical, emotional, and tactical because that applies not just, I think, in sports, but probably also to writing an exam, doing a job interview, absolutely, crushing it in a sales meeting. So let's break that out and just explain that a little bit. Yeah, so the four is uh, mental, physical, technical, and tactical. I mean, I sort of bunch emotional into the mental side because I think it's everything around how we prepare ourselves. And so I use an example in the book about a woman who is an accounting person who is able to does a great technical skill in tax accounting. And she's one of the best technical people in the industry. And she's very tactically oriented in how she approaches her technical skill with the clients. She's very tactically able to listen to the clients and understand which approach to use when, and when is the right approach to use it. She's mentally able to handle the pressure when a client is really upset or she's, you know, and they're really in a rush or there's a multiple of jobs on the line. And she physically, in her own situation, is there's not a lot of physical demand to it, other than she has to sort of show up for work every day. But what happens is now the job, because she's done such a great job and she's highly regarded, they want to have her work across the country with all their national clients. So now she has to travel more and she's finding she's away from home more. And she still has the technical skills and she still has the tactical skills. But the physical load that's being imposed on her from the travel, the jet lag, the fatigue of changing time zones, the emotional load that's being imposed on her from taking away from time from their family, those have an impact in the ability to then, it changes her personal state when she's working with the clients. And so that's really where I think about the concept of an integrated output. Mm. Those areas do have a, have a play and it's needing to understand how those different four components, physical, mental, technical, tactical, are able to influence that output positively and negatively. So someone in that situation needs to be more physically, have a higher physical capacity. They'll be able to handle the travel load. They'll be able to handle the fatigue a little bit better. They'll also be able to handle some of the stresses a little bit better. Someone who eats well, if they have poor dietary habits, will have an integrated, it will moderate that performance or that output that's being delivered. 
you know, if they eat really well and they manage their food over a course of traveling and getting on a plane and hitting hotels and all these other types of things that happen, they actually have, that has a positive, can have a positive or a negative influence on the output. And so we're talking about that integrated output. All those pieces come into play that you need to prepare and you can prepare to help deliver what is actually required. In the second scenario for that, for the accountant, the output that's required is very different than when the accountant's working in their home territory, right? So knowing the output that's required to deliver and achieve the performance has changed. And so the preparation needs to change to, to meet that new need. When we're thinking about the different elements and preparing or training or practicing, inevitably, sadly, we run up against time and you don't have time to do everything. You don't have the energy to do everything. You don't have the capacity to do everything. So you got to make decisions. Yeah. What am I going to practice? What elements am I, am I going to work on? Am I going to practice my mental skills by doing some visualization? Am I going to go to the gym? Am I going to map out my cue card as to what my strategy is going to be? Like you got, there's a lot of stuff you got to pick and choose from, which leads us to thinking about, okay, how do we prioritize and figure out strategically what is the most important thing to move forwards with? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, Greg, and I see it every single day. And it's actually the same challenge we have in sport. I see it in sport and even with business clients that I work with. And fundamentally, my my belief is is that the challenges with that come from really not spending the time right up front to be honest about what it is your objective is. Yeah. And I think, and more often than not, actually, I'd say ninety nine percent of the time, when working with clients or teams or athletes. That if we spend that time right up front to be really clear about what is the objective and ask those questions and then why that's the objective and make sure that the, the individual is honest about what that is, the pathway and the strategy becomes really clear. And I think that once, you, once you're really clear about what that objective is and then you spend the time to articulate what's the output that's actually required to achieve that objective, you can be honest with yourself saying, you know what, I can't do that or I can do that. Where we run into trouble, I think where most people run into trouble and get overwhelmed, is there's an abundance of information. And so they start at the point of taking in the information on what to do, as opposed to figuring out what they actually need to do first, and then going out to the resource to say, well, how do I do this or how do I do this? Right. And I think that that's, that's the fundamental. Once you've got to that point to be honest about what it is you're trying to achieve and why, because look, if you don't connect with why you're doing something, and everybody knows about Simon Sinek's why, and it's a great it's a great approach, but I think it's on so many levels. If you don't connect to why you're doing something, it's really hard to get up at six in the morning to hit that workout, or it's really hard to not have a drink out with your friends socially because you know next morning you've got to get up. Or the heart, the whys. If you're not connected to the why, the actions become more difficult to do on a consistent basis. But the minute you're able to connect to that why, you're then able to articulate what it is that you need to do to achieve that. And going back to your question is, I would say, I always start with pick the top three priorities that you can focus on. And any more than that is a lot. Yeah, if I stay focused on one to three things, whether it's my big three for the year, my big three for the quarter, my big three for this week, even my three things I want to get done today, things tend to go very well. Yes. I usually feel 
anxiety go up, stress go up, overwhelm go up when I get distracted and start to pile on more things that maybe aren't actually important. They're just urgent. And that practice of constantly checking back on what are those three things I need to do? Like you literally have to check in every single morning. I have to check in every yeah. single morning to make sure I yeah. stay on target. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's, I think that's common even with athletes. I mean, we build out plans for the year. We have some priorities that we want to actually focus on um, in their plan. Like what is the objective of this camp? Uh, and, and I believe it or not, even at the elite level in pro sport and Olympic sport, there's a lot of people who are going to camps and they, they just go through the motions. It doesn't mean they're, they're actually really good at what they do, but they could actually optimize that performance to a different level. And so I think that the same thing holds true very much in personal performance as well. How do we get some equivalent clarity around what we can control versus what we cannot control to ensure that once we've done our prioritization, we're allocating our attention, our energy, our focus to the things that can actually move the needle? Yeah, I think you have to actually ask the question, is there something else that, so for example, can you control your effort every day? Yeah, I can control my effort. Can I control whether I go to the gym or not every day? Yeah, I can. But there might be a few things my schedule might not allow me to do it, right? My work schedule, my kids, my Ubering for my kids might not allow me to do it. But okay, so then what are the limitations to my schedule? Now, I can control in those, in those open windows whether I go or not. I can make the choice to go whether I go or not. And I think you always have to get down to the question and say, ask yourself, do I have ultimate control over it? Mm. Am I able to actually control this? And I will say this, is that we can control the, the factors of what our objective is. We control that. Every one of us can control that. We can control what we choose our objective to be, personally. We can control the effort we put into prioritizing. What are the things we need to work on? We can control our preparation to deliver the output that's required to achieve that objective. And we can control how we prepare for those moments by getting good sleep, optimally recovering, eating good food. You know, We can prepare for those moments. When you get into the moment and you evaluate your performance, and this is a big thing about the concept of output, you have to evaluate your performance based on whether or not you were able to deliver the output that you prepared yourself to deliver. Okay. That's a very big, important piece to this. If you evaluate it still on the objective, you're, get, you're falling into the trap of whether or not you actually try, you're going basing on outcome as opposed to output. Mm. Now, the, the, a key piece in this is to understand that when you think about output or when you think about your preparation to achieve an objective, you're really preparing yourself to increase the likelihood that you can deliver the performance that will achieve your objective, right? You still have things that you can't control. Referee makes a bad call. Boss changes your, what you need to do. <laughs> you know, something happens at home to a family member and you have a stress that's immediately there before a big presentation. You can't control those things. They happen in life. But what you can do is prepare yourself. You can control your ability to prepare yourself to handle those in those moments. Have the biggest toolbox. Have mm -hmm. some capacity. Be well rested. You know, be well nourished so that you're not tired and having to make decisions under stress. Or you're not having, you know, you're undernourished and you're hungry and you're hangry, as my family likes to call it. You know, 
and and then you're having to make decisions in a stressful environment. From your perspective, is it worth when we talk about preparing and understanding the controllables versus the uncontrollables? Of course, you want to take care of everything that you can control: sleep, nutrition, training, mindset, prep, you know, all those sorts of things. But of course, it's possible that something happens that disrupts your ability to perform in the moment. Is it worth allocating attention to trying to anticipate what those might be and coming up with maybe even thinking through a strategy and in advance of what happens if it doesn't go well? Let me give you an example. Yesterday I was doing a speech, tried to connect my computer to the AV system at the city of Toronto City Hall where I was supposed to be presenting. It doesn't work because the system's 25 years old. And I actually had to go through three different dongles to find the one that would connect my Mac to their system. But I had all three dongles with me because I knew that sometimes my computer just doesn't connect. Yeah. But I had them with me because I had thought through what could go wrong. And I tried to figure out, is it a powered one? Is it a, you know, anyway, so yeah. USB-C, HDMI, like whatever. So is it worth thinking about what can go wrong? I mean, I Absolutely. sometimes but i'm curious about your thoughts on that absolutely i think you have to do that with the appreciation though that you can't prepare for everything yes and so and i and i talk a little bit about this in the book is i think you really got to prepare for those that are most likely to happen right, right? and and there are things in, and and then the, the other thing i'd say is for those that are that ones that you haven't prepared for is you prepare yourself to handle an unpredictable moderator yeah prepare yourself how do you handle that situation do you get flustered do you get stressed or are you able to handle in the way that's able to deal with the situation at the time right and i think that's a big part of it you can't prepare for everything i think that's i think it's foolish you know the list is endless about all the things yeah totally you want to do yeah. psych yourself out about you know everything that could go wrong yeah, yeah i think you end up having some mental challenge it could be mentally challenging to do that yeah. over an incredible stress but yeah i think you prepare for those that are most likely Right. My daughter, for example, like when she's swimming, take a couple pairs of goggles with you because it's quite likely that at some point your goggles going to break. But, you know, anyway, so I get it. That's that's fair enough. I understand. Yeah, And even I, I give a story about the Olympics of 2010 is we, we were competing at home. We knew we had more ability to deal with certain certain instances if they arose. But we prepared for the things that we thought were most likely to happen. We figured there was going to be some weather challenges, you know, mm. thanks to the Olympics. So it's. I, I, I grew up here. I know the weather is unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, you get rain, fog, sun, no snow, tons of snow. And so one of the things that we prepared for was the most likely fog, rain. And, and uh, what that meant is that we wanted to make sure that we had, and, and delays because of the fog and rain. So we made sure we had goggle management. We made sure that we had proper rain gear and we had, we had a little warming hut available. We mm. made sure that we had proper clothing. And I remember actually in the final race that, you know, in the in the parallel to giant slalom, JC Anderson's racing Benjamin Carl for the gold medal. There was a delay before the men started. Race started. JCJ came down almost three quarters of a second behind Benjamin Carl in the first run. JC came over. We went through our process: goggle management, warm jacket on, straight up to the top. As soon as they get Benjamin Carl went over, they had like a plastic bag, or there wasn't a lot of preparation. They went up to the top. We had micro micro warm ups planned out in case there was a delay. There was a fifteen minute delay. Right, JC felt really prepared and ready. He came back down and ultimately he won. So, which is a fantastic thing for him. But all we did was prepare yeah. for the most likely scenarios. 
tell us about the new book. So the book's output, it's um, it's uh, great. Thanks for having me on to talk about it. I think, first of all, one, as you would know, having written books, it's it's a challenge. Uh, it was probably one of the biggest challenges I went through uh, in the last 15 years. And one of the things I most excited about the book is it came out of COVID. It was a we took we took a scenario that was not super good for a lot of people. It was a stressful scenario, big change, and something good came out of it from us. We ended up my wife Trina and I worked hard to put it together. We'd go for hikes regularly and walk through the process of asking questions and talking. And and really the book came, Greg, from speaking with clients, speaking to organizations, um, similar to like you do with yourself, and people often coming up and saying, hey, here's my situation. Like, mm. what would you do in this scenario? Or my my son or daughter is an athlete and they're learning to develop. What would you suggest? Or how would you suggest helping them achieve their goals? And it really came from that constant question was, is there, is there a place I can get your thought process on this? Do you have a book? And so over time, it just evolved and I think we took the opportunity of COVID to put it out. So pretty excited about it. And it's uh, a new chapter of, well, literally a few new chapters. Yeah, a few new chapters. <laughs> <laughs> like actual chapters. That's yeah, funny. Actual chapters. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you joining us to share your wisdom and check out the book. If people want to learn more about you and your work and connect with you and maybe get a copy of the book, where should they go? Well, output-book.com is the book website. Instagram is just outputbook. I'm on LinkedIn usual channels Perfect. right on ben thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us i'm really happy to you know dig into this i learned something new about performance day so i mean how cool is that and just super thrilled to have a chance to spend a little bit of time with you likewise great thanks so much for having me on really appreciate it and uh, keep doing all the work you're doing i love it all right everyone i hope you enjoyed that episode the last episode of 2023 with dr ben sporer if you want to learn more about ben and get his book check out www.output book.com and all of his info is there. I hope that you had a great year. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this year. We've got some exciting plans for 2024. Really thrilled to have all of you here with me on this journey and excited to keep everyone growing into 2024 in the areas of health, well-being, and peak performance. All right, everyone, that's it. Happy New Year. We'll see you in the next one.